Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Robots Radio presents... You're listening to the Dungeons & Dragons Lorecast. The best way for everyone from experienced dungeon masters to those curious about D&D to learn more about the worlds, creatures, and lore of Dungeons & Dragons. Welcome to episode 109 of the Dungeons and Dragons Lorecast. My name is Sergio, and I will be your lore master. This week, we conclude our discussion on the Witch Queen known as Igwil, the Archmage known as Tasha, and the Archfey known as Zabilna. That's right, dear listener, we are not yet done giving this iconic character pseudonyms to pa, three Balderdash. We will continue handing out new names until the final dungeon has been delved and the last dragon slayed. So when we last left Tasha, she had been tricked by Grazit into releasing him from the imprisonment she had bound him within for years, if not decades. The two clashed with Tasha coming out on top, which sent the demon prince back to the abyss. The victory came at a high price, however, and Tasha was left weakened. So weak, in fact, she lost her grip on the land she had conquered. This, coupled with the fact no one had seen or heard from her, whether it be as Tasha or Igwilv or even Hura, the only mention of her uh, for several decades was when some adventurers made their way into her secret caverns where she had hoarded many of her magical items and artifacts, including the Demonomicon. This was seen, as previously stated, in the last the Lost Caverns of Sojkant adventure. This led many to believe the battle with Grazit actually killed the Witch Queen. The reports of Tasha's demise, as they might say, had been greatly exaggerated. So, her clash with Grazit took place in 491 CY Common Year. Besides her mention in the Sojkanth module, she next shows up in the Advanced Dungeons and Dragons adventure, Return of the Eight, in which Igwilv teams up with her son Ayuz 
as well as the demon Turney. She plans to gather her extraplanar troops and descent to Earth to conquer the Flannis. The DM notes for this adventure state, if it is played as part of a Greyhawk campaign, it should take place in or around the year 585 CY. Greyhawk is a lot like Forgotten Realms or Dark Sun in that it involves a metaplot, an overarching storyline that binds together events in an official continuity. Also, I'm going to try to sneak in at least one in-context Dark Sun reference every single episode from now on. I am chomping at the bit to do some episodes on that campaign setting, but I digress. So Tasha disappears in 491 CY and appears nearly a century later in 585 CY. So what did she do in that almost 100 years? Well, according to a Dragon article in issue 414, it seems Igwilv got a taste of her own medicine. Just as she imprisoned Grazit on the plane she called home, so too would the demon prince use his home plane, the Abyss, to incarcerate his former lover. Igwilv was certain that Grazit would not forget her abuses at his expense, despite whatever they might have shared. As she struggled to rebuild her power and recover the arcane treasures lost when her demon crumbled, the mother of witches lived in fear that the demonic agents of Grazit would locate her. Soon enough, they did, whereupon they dragged her away to the triple-layered realm known as Azagrat to be subjected to the Dark Prince's cruel whims. The article goes on to mention abominable depravities that took place in the most hopeless dungeons under the demon city of Zelatar. It always weirds me out that layers in the abyss have cities. Like, do these cities have stores, restaurants? Like, will a main demon take my order if I want a burger at Shoney's? Anyway, it, that's just what goes on in my head. The article continues. Yet from these wretched acts, a new understanding was born, along with other monstrous offspring. Igwilv would often be seen in public with child, but such states were inhumanly brief, and Grazit took great pains to hide the identities and whereabouts of his offspring hidden from enemies. Try as I might, I could not find any concrete information on any of these children. Of course, Iaz was the first half-fiend or Cambian to be born of the union between Grazit and Tasha, who are his brothers and or sisters, though. We know of Iaz's half-siblings, like Athux, half-demon, half-drow, and his half-sister Thraxia's mother was a monk. There is mention of Thraxia herself having three half-sisters, meaning their father would be Grazit, and their mother would be another non-monk female, perhaps a witch. And then there's Arzile, whose paternity is shrouded in mystery. He could possibly be Tasha's son. We do know, usually, the children pick one parent or the other. It's either mom or dad. So even in the abyss, divorce is awful and messy. But at the end of this article, there are several adventure hooks a DM could use one of which being that an NPC or even a player character is unaware of their true heritage 
as some of the offspring between Grazit and Iqwilv are. The plot could revolve around the characters seeking out either or both parents to learn the truth or either or both of them trying to capture their wayward child. The article continues. Grazit and Igwilv had come to understand that they loved nothing more than hating each other, and they hated nothing more than loving each other. To the dismay and detriment of the Dark Prince's consorts, Igwilv was set free to roam the halls of the Argent Palace and scheme at the sight of her one-time prisoner, former lover, and recent captor. Her counsel and extraordinary knowledge of demonology guided Grazit's campaigns of manipulation and conquest. Igwil frequently banished trusted advisors of the Dark Prince's enemies to the material world where they would wreak untold havoc. Such was her power that she could summon entire legions of lesser demons away from the field of battle, leaving Grazit's enemies with insufficient forces to withstand the Dark Prince's assault. These displaced demonic legions would appear elsewhere, enraged and bloodthirsty, leading to the fall of nations in the natural world. So at this point, it seems like Grazit and Tasha are putting out like real power couple energy. Like they're on some Alexander and Cleopatra, but in the depths of hell sort of vibe. And I'm kind of here for it. I mean, it sounds pretty dope. So she's using her power and knowledge to help her boo with his military campaigns. And he's starting to catch feels too. Remember Fraz Erblu, uh, the demon prince of deception, Tasha, along with Zagig, summoned and imprisoned in the deepest dungeon of Castle Greyhawk? Well, Grazit felt some sort of way about that whole period of time and actually attacked his fellow demon simply because Fraz Ubalu had once been a prisoner and plaything of Igwilves and Grazit no longer wanted to share that privilege with anyone. Still, it wasn't all rainbows and lollipops. A strong relationship is built on trust. Take it from me, dear listener, which shock of shocks, trust was in scarce supply between a demon known as the Dark Prince, and a woman who has been known to lie, steal, and have like six different IDs in her purse. Because Igwilv and Grazit were forever wary of each other's machinations, trust was in short supply between them, if it existed at all. Nevertheless, the couple often held fast purely despite those that sought to sunder their dysfunctional bond. Grazit frequently dangled Igwil before his foes like a prize, daring them to be seduced by her, and then victimized them with the secrets his consort gained from pillow talk. Throughout this series of trysts, Igwil stoked the fires of the Dark Prince's jealousy higher and higher, each time leaving it unclear whether she would truly betray him. Finally, it was the scheming of a demon named Turney, remember him? He was the demon Tasha and her son Iaz teamed up with in the aforementioned Return of the Eight adventure. So it was a scheming of Turney, the Merciless, which finally drove the final wedge between Tasha and Grazit, partly to spite the demon lord and partly to earn the favor of such a powerful witch like Tasha. Turney neutralized the magic which held Igwilv 
under her lover's control. A cataclysmic battle raged through the Argent Palace, but neither Igwilv nor Grazit was willing to deliver a decisive blow. Instead, they each laid waste to halls of priceless treasures, slew favored servants and concubines, and traded venomous barbs in unholy tongues. Each held some of his or her power in reserve, recalling their weakened states following their previous struggle. Grazit finally granted Igwil safe passage from Azagrad. A host of demonic servants conveyed her research on rituals and amassed relics to a manor somewhere in the Astral Sea. The manor is said to be within the Grey Wastes. So she finally escapes from Grazit's control, and she and her new dude and her son try to take over the Flannis. Back to basics. I like it. Of course, the heroes win the day at the end of that adventure, and Tasha is forced into hiding again. At one point, Tasha is defeated with the Crook of Roe, a wondrous item found in Cauldron of Everything, which actually made its first appearance way back in 1985. Details aren't clear, but the lore implies this defeat in a way cleared the way for Iaz to conquer and carve out his own small kingdom within the Flannis. During this time, her and Grazit have a real Ross and Rachel will-they-won't-they type relationship combined with some real Cold War energy. They don't necessarily go after each other directly, but each is keen on assisting others who would do harm to their former lover. For example, uh, Tasha is all too eager to assist some heroes in their attempt to free an angel trapped within Grazit's Whispering Library. I guess that's their weird way of flirting. But beyond this, Tasha isn't really heard of much after her escape from the abyss. Was she semi-retired, only emerging when she could mess with Grazit? Was she consolidating power in order to finally conquer the Flannis? Was she even on the material plane? We will get into that after the middle of the show. Welcome to the middle of the show in which we, as you well know, or may not know if you're relatively new to the show, we use the particular portion of the Dungeons and Dragons lore cast to thank our patrons, to discuss any recent news or upcoming miniatures, and to take a gander at what homebrew fun the DMs Guild has in store for us. So first and foremost, our patrons. This week, we'd like to give a shout out to our oldest patrons, and I don't mean by age, I mean by length of support. These fine folk of the Patreon have been around since the days of Tom and Stuart, Remington Cloutier, Tex Tinstar, and Wolf the Sheepdog are the OGs of the D&D Lorecast Patreon, and we could not be more appreciative of their support. We have four different tiers at $5, $10, $25, and $75 price points. The $5 Apprentice tier gets you early ad-free episodes, no more commercials for you, uh, plus some D&D Lorecast stickers. The $10 Scholar tier adds all the bonus content we produce here at Castle D&D Lorecast. That's the Patron Plus installments, uh, bonus mini-episodes, 
And we've got a few new things kicking around down the pipe that we are very excited to announce soon. As a $25 fighter, you begin getting D&D Lorecast swag. Every three months, a shirt or a mug or a tote bag or a hoodie. Plus, of course, a standing invitation to the multiverse famous D&D Lorecast patron roundtable at the end of every month. We also have the deity tier at 75 bucks. For those of you hoping to achieve divinity, you get everything we have to offer, plus even more enticing perks like I will DM a one-shot for you and your four friends or family members or whoever you want to invite, coworkers. Already have a campaign going? I can make a guest appearance during the session and shake things up. Or I can help you workshop a new adventure you're writing or even a campaign setting. Hell, you know, help you get the lore down. That's kind of my thing. And of course, if you are not in a position where you can sign up for the Patreon, we would love your support in other ways. Leaving five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, telling a friend about the show, following us on Twitter at DD Lorecast, or joining the Robots Radio Discord and chatting with us there. We definitely appreciate the support and love to hear from the folks listening to the show. So as far as minis go, nothing really new mini-wise, but dndmini.com does have a pre-order up for their premium Vecna statue. At 12 inches tall, this amazing butte reflects the Vecna look from 5th edition. Uh, It ain't going to come cheap, though. Some 262-odd bucks it'll cost you, but man, oh man, is it pretty. Link is provided in the show notes. Also, if you are listening to this episode the day of its release, June 25th, or even just a day or two later, D&D Beyond is giving away the first chapter of Journey Through the Radiant Citadel. This is good through June 28th, so snag your copy before it's too late. I have already read through it once, and it is definitely an intriguing setting being introduced to the Dungeons & Dragons multiverse. Check out the link in the show notes to get yourself a copy and let us know what you think. Also, this came out a few weeks ago, but I forgot to mention it. The latest Unearth Arcana was released by Wizards of the Coast, and this one focuses on giants and includes three new subclasses to playtest, as well as close to a dozen new feats. Of course, this is all playtest material and isn't exactly official yet, or maybe not ever, but that's our job to use it and see what sticks and what doesn't. Of course, link in the show notes. And this will be the last time you hear about this, folks. Less than a week left in our raffle. The second the month of June ends, tickets are no longer available for the amazing raffle we are currently holding. We are raffling off eight D&D 5th edition rulebooks. Included is the core rulebook gift set, which comes with the player's handbook, the Dungeon Master's Guide, the monster manual, along with a DM screen, all inside of an awesome slipcase. Also, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, Bolo's Guide to Monsters, Xanathar's Guide to Everything, Mordekainen's Tome of Foes, and Fizbin's Treasury of Dragons. One ticket will cost you four bucks, and three will cost you ten dollars. These is uh, this is U.S. dollars American, uh, and a winner will be announced on the July seventh show. And once again, one hundred percent of the proceeds. Every single penny from ticket sales will go to the Critical Role Foundation, an awesome charity started by Matt Mercer and his group of nerdy voice actors. 
Once again, June 30th, 11.59 p.m. Tickets are no longer available, so get them now. And one, uh, get a chance to win eight brand new D&D books, and two, help out a very awesome and worthy cause. And finally, what does the DMs Guild have in store for us this week? Well, last week we covered the two-volume Tasha's Crucible of Everything Else. So this week, let's give one of her other pseudonyms some love. Igwilv's Ill-Gotten Inventory, available on PDF for only $12.95, comes to us from our friends over at Grim Press and Christoph Langham. The collection of magic items found within the pages of this tome contain untold power, but at what cost? Every item has been cursed by the Witch Queen herself. All your players are sure to enjoy finding this loot scattered throughout their adventures. Game masters will take delight in secret as the curses and blights become known. This offering includes 90 magic items, each with amazing art, 17 demonic marks, 7 magical spells, and a total of 119 unique curses. Items like adamantine claws which offer a plus one to attack and to damage but require a dc strength check after a critical hit to ensure they stay strapped to your arms or the rod of the pyromancer which while attuned to it allows the wielder to use the control flames cantrip to cause damage but leaves them vulnerable to cold damage a definite pickup for the sadistic dungeon master and let's be honest, that's every dungeon master to a certain degree. Igwilv's ill-gotten inventory available now at dmsguild.com. Link provided in the show notes. Now that we have that settled, let's get back to the show, shall we? Welcome back, dear listener. When we last left our subject for the last two episodes, she had faded somewhat into the background. Previously, this was someone who ran around with a who's who in Greyhawk, conquered a large swath of land in the Flannis, and summoned, imprisoned, and conversed with demons. So Tasha chilling in the cut is somewhat out of character for her. Now, if you plan on enjoying the Wild Beyond the Witchlight adventure as a player anytime soon, I might suggest fast-forwarding to the magic item of the week, as the next part of the story contains some spoilers for the module. If you've already played it, plan on running it as a DM, or don't give two shakes of a Displacer Kin's whiskers about spoilers, feel free to continue on. When you open the Wild Beyond the Witchlight adventure, you and your fellow party members are approached by an aging warlock named Madrick Rosloff. He lives on a giant pumpkin farm, sharing his rustic farmhouse space with rodents and pixies. His adventuring days are behind him, and he might look quite old and frail. Nevertheless, he is delighted to make your acquaintance. Rosloff mentions his many treasures he has accumulated over the years during his travels and adventures. More than treasures, he also has favors owed to him by very powerful people and or creatures. He hopes to use these as a reward to entice you to undertake a task for him. 
The task is to travel to the Feywild domain of Prismere and find out the fate of an archfey named Zabilna, who is Roslov's patron and inspiration. I have been unable to contact Zabilna for the better part of a year, and I fear something terrible has happened. My adventuring days are over, but Zabilna has been good to me, and I would like to know she is well before I take my leave. The Witchlight Carnival acts as a gateway to Prismere, and thus the adventure begins. Before you leave, Rosloff gives this information about his missing Archfey. One, Zabilna is a fairy godmother to mortals. She created the carnival as a means by which mortals could enter her realm and beseech her aid. Two, Prismere is a domain of delight ruled by Zabilna, who usually assumes the form of a statuesque woman with long white hair and a small tattoo shaped like a chicken's foot below one eye. And three, she can actually assume many forms and is brilliant but secretive. As you make your way through the adventure, the clues begin to present themselves until the mystery is solved. Igwilv the Witch Queen created the persona of Zabilna to hide from her most hated enemies. Igwilv is Zabilna. Zabilna is Igwilv. Finkel is Einhorn, the laces we're in. The adventure explains, in the Feywild, Igwilv raised a magnificent palace and set about establishing herself as the benevolent archfey Zabilna of Prismere, avatar of mercy for destitute mortals. Her closest rivals saw the cracks in her facade, flashes of arrogance and cruelty that conflicted with her kindly persona, but they ascribed this behavior to the mercurial nature of archfey. Over time, Igwilv made the mistake of placing too much trust in the hags of the hourglass coven, who served in her court as advisors. The hags waited patiently for the opportunity to overthrow Igwilv. Keep in mind, these hags are Baba Yaga's true-born daughters, so Igwilv is an adopted sister to them. Surely, her success, in addition to sometimes being called the mother of all witches, a title actually held by their mother, probably ran them hot. Like the idea that this human of all things was acting as a successor to Baba Yaga probably did not sit well with them. So they used a skirmish between the League of Malevolence and Valor's Call to strike. The module continues. For years, evil sorcerer Kellick had coveted the staff of power wielded by his arch enemy, a good aligned wizard named Ringle Run. When Kellick uncovered clues to Zabilna's true identity, he hatched a foolish plan to blackmail her into bringing him the staff. Kellick was betrayed at the 11th hour by his own companion, the warlock Skyla, who secretly swore loyalty to Baba Yaga, Igwilv's adoptive mother. When the League of Malevolence arrived at the palace, the Hourglass Coven ensured Kellek's rivals from Valor's Call were close behind. The two factions clashed inside, and while Zabilna was distracted, the hags used Igwilv's cauldron to freeze everyone but themselves in a temporal stasis. 
The hags eventually freed Kellick and his companions in order for them to guard the cauldron which held the spell in place. Also, hint, hint, for more information on these ne'er-do-wells, check out our Patreon as the Patron Plus installment of our War Duke episode covers the League of Malevolence. So, there are a few ways to freeze Zabilna, a.k.a. Tasha, a.k.a. Igwilv, a.k.a. Hura, a.k.a. Natasha the Dark, and complete the adventure. And once you do, Zabilna will be freed from her stasis. She will lurch forward before quickly regaining her balance. Damn, too late, she says with a snarl. Her eyes dart around in search of enemies before fixing on you. Have we met? She asks. At this point, the party is free to explain pretty much the adventure. Uh, and she is troubled to learn what has happened to Prismere and vows to undo the damage the hourglass coven has wrought. But if you happen to bring up her past, no. The archfey's hair turns from white to raven black, and she appears younger and angrier now than she was a moment ago. You know nothing about my past, she snaps. The wars I've won, the enemies I've crushed. I've turned the hourglass on its end so many times. Each turn is a new beginning. Who are you that stands before me and speaks of things best unspoken? And from there, depending on the player's roles, she will either calm down and let bygones be bygones, or she will wipe all knowledge of Igwilv and Tasha from the player's memories. They will only know Zabilna, blessed benefactor of Prismere. And that, for now, dear listener, is the history and lore behind Natasha the Dark, a.k.a. Hura, a.k.a. Igwilv, a.k.a. Tasha, a.k.a. Zabilna. Will she make her way out of the Feywild and back onto the material plane? Who knows? If she does, will she have a new name? Yeah, probably. She definitely is all about starting over and getting a new name, so we can definitely be assured of that. But if she does, you can be well-equipped thanks to our magic item of the week. Tasha's true name parchment is a scrap of magical paper which can illuminate and reveal the true name of any creature you come in contact with. It can only be used once per long rest, and you must beat the target on an opposed charisma check. And of course, with the knowledge of the target's true name comes the possibility of, amongst many things, having control over the creature. However, if you roll a natural one on your charisma check, the parchment disintegrates in your hand and your true name is then revealed to the target. So be careful if you use this wondrous item, dear listener. Thank you once again for spending time with the Dungeons and Dragons Lorecast. I hope you have enjoyed listening to the episode as much as I enjoyed researching it. Please, if you could take just a few seconds to leave behind a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, we'd be much obliged. As well as telling a friend about the show, I tell just about everyone I know, regardless if they would care to hear about it or not. In fact, at work the other day, I met someone else in the company who's a huge D&D nerd and told her, she said her husband, the DM, is more of the lore guy. So husband, if you're listening, welcome. 
And if you're able, please consider signing up at patreon.com slash lorecast, as well as buying tickets for the raffle mentioned during the middle of the show. Again, details for all of that are in the show notes. Fare thee well, dear listener, and until we meet again, may all your 20s be natural. Thanks for listening to the Dungeons & Dragons Lorecast. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with a friend, following us on Twitter at DNDLorecast, or jumping on the Robots Radio Discord to chat more with us about Dungeons & Dragons. We'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to a Robots Radio podcast. Smart shows for interesting people. Check out all the shows at robotsradio.net.